0: You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So if you have been with us, we are wrapping up a series in the Gospel of Mark. That was supposed to happen last Sunday, but we had to cancel services then. So in light of our sermon schedule and just where we're headed and what we need to do, we are going to transition now from the Mark series to a series on serving. And this series is going to be based out of 1 Peter, which is where we will start today. Why, Why a series on serving? Well, as a leadership team, as we pray and try to discern how the Spirit is working and moving in our body, what are the shepherding needs, um, that where we're at as a church family, Some months ago, we realized that it was timely for us to do a series on serving. And so that's where this is birthed out of, is from speaking with many of you and looking at where our church is at, that is a strong point of our church and an area of our church that we want to continue to deepen and grow in. But as much as it's an area of strength, it also can be an area of weakness, Because when you look at what Scripture talks about in regards to serving, that is important for every single relationship we have in our lives. We are called to serve one another. And of course, we are called to serve as a church family, in the church family and as a church family. And that's where we're going today, is what does it mean to answer the call to serve as a church? Like many of you, I uh, was snowed in off and on this last week. And uh, Monday, after our first snowstorm, when things were just beginning to melt, I was hopeful that I would be able to make it into the the Grace office and just be able to make it into work. We were able to open the campus this last Monday. And so I waited till mid-morning in hopes that my street would thaw enough for me to get off it and then get, get over here to the other side of town to Grace. My family and I live on a hill, and there was still a lot of snow and ice on our street. But I was determined to get off our street and so I gave it a shot and got stuck about halfway up my little hill so I backed up and gave it another try and gave it another try and gave it another try I tried six times to make it off my street and couldn't quite make it I'd get almost to the top where I could get to a street that had bare pavement and and really had some good traction and I just couldn't quite make it and whether it was pride or just laziness I didn't want to put the chains on my car just to go 500 feet and then take them off again. And one of my neighbors who was watching all this came over to my car as I was backing up to give it another try and said, let me help you. And he ran in his garage, got a bag of gravel and threw some gravel down at the very top of the hill. And understand it's still cold outside, the wind's blowing. I was grateful that it was him and not me to be honest with you, but sure enough, he threw the rock down and I was able to get traction and was able to, to make it in. And I remember as he was throwing gravel on the, on the snow in front of me, I remember thinking, you know what, I, I, I sure appreciate my neighbor. I appreciate him helping me. And really what I was thinking was, I appreciate being served. Do you appreciate it when people serve you? Of, of course you do. Especially when we're in need. Especially when we need someone's help. All of us love being served by one another. We, we appreciate it, but are you that person to serve? Are you, the one, are you the type of person who sees a need and then fulfills it or does what you can to help? That should be a distinctive of the Christian life. One of the distinctives of loving and following Jesus is because He has first served us, we then serve Him by serving and loving other people. And so we thought it was very necessary and very wise as we finished this gospel, uh, the gospel of Mark, that we transition to the letter of 1 Peter. Because the gospel of Mark, most scholars believe, was informed by Peter. In many ways, it's considered to be Peter's gospel. And so we thought... It just works very smoothly and very intentionally for us then to move on now to Peter's letter. This letter was written to a group of believers who were living in a very hostile culture and they were suffering and paying the penalty, really paying the price for following Jesus. And so Peter writes this letter and there's this theme of suffering and struggle and challenge all throughout the letter. But as he is encouraging them, And speaking to their situation, he also calls them to live distinctively for Jesus. And one of the ways he talks about that is through serving. And so as Peter does, we will look at almost every relationship in our life and why it matters that we serve and serve others. And so today we look at the reality of serving as a church and in the church. And really, you could consider this sermon as a starter and a primer, really for the whole series, because I want to make a case today as to why we should serve, why it not only blesses others, but also blesses us. So we're going to start with 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll look at verses 1 through 12, and then we'll unpack that together. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 it says this therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit hypocrisy envy and slander of every kind like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him the living stone Rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, and this is a quote out of the Old Testament, Isaiah 28, verse 16, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, "...and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame." Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, another quote from Psalm 118, "...the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone." And another quote from Isaiah 8, "...a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall." They stumble because they disobey the message." which is also what they were destined for. But here we go again. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. There is a lot there and I want to begin to unpack that together. And it really starts with... Our identity and that's what chapter 1 spends a lot of time talking about that therefore in chapter 2 builds on these identity statements that God makes about us we are shown mercy we are given new birth we have an inheritance from him we are given joy by him we are his children we are called by him we are redeemed by him we are literally born again All those things, all those realities, all those truths lay the foundation for why we serve. And the reason we serve is because we make Jesus visible together. It's so important we serve as a church family, as the church, capital C, because that's how we make Jesus visible together. Look at what it says here in verse 5. It says that we are living stones, that we are being built into a spiritual house. That literally means that God lives in us through His Holy Spirit. That's about the presence of God, but also about the power of God. And what's so remarkable to me in this passage, especially in verse 5, is this is in a tense that's known as present progressive. This is something that is ongoing and continuing It means that we are to be profoundly dependent on one another and interdependent. It means we do life together. It means we make decisions together. It means we share struggles and difficulties and heartaches together. It means we share joys together. It means we share our resources together. It means we pool our money together. It means we help one another when we need help. It means that we do life together. And it has this idea of this building where all the pieces are built on one another. And if you pull one of those pieces out, not only is the building incomplete, but the building becomes unstable because a really important piece is missing. You ever played that little woodblock game called Jenga? You know, where you build the tower and where you try then to pull pieces out without it falling down on you? This is kind of that idea of the Jenga tower. But if you remove even one piece, Whether the tower falls down or not, an important piece is missing. And it cannot be what God intended it to be. What would happen if you left the Grace family? Would people notice? What would be lacking in your life? There are many times as a pastor... I will have people come to me and they will be folks who have gone to other churches and for whatever reason they've left that church and they come to me or one of the other leadership here and they say, I've left that church. And some of you may have already discovered this when you've come to Grace from another church family. But if it's not me, one of us at some point are going to ask you why you left. Because it's extremely important to leave for the right reasons, and people leave churches for all sorts of reasons, some legitimate, I think many that are not. But here's the reality. There are times people will come to me and they are frustrated that they left their church and no one noticed. They left their church and no one came after them. They left their church and no one ever tried to, to come back and to pull them back into the community. And one of the first questions I'll usually ask in response to that is, were you involved in the church? Were you serving in the church? Did you ever roll up your sleeves and get your hands involved in ministry in some way, shape, or form? Part of being a Jesus follower is being in community. That's why we push community groups and encourage you to get involved in a smaller community where you can serve together and be known in an even deeper way than you are on a Sunday morning here. That's why we encourage you to get involved with the journey. That's why we create these opportunities for you to have community is so you can be vitally connected to other people. Because one of the realities of this language that Peter is using here is this is family language. It's familial language. The church is like a family. And it's so important that we are serving together. Not only serving one another, but but serving the community. And that's why you'll hear us put such a heavy emphasis on outreach and being out in the community and being salt and light in the name of Jesus. Because that's how we make Jesus known. It's not just all about me. It's not just all about you and your individual relationship with God. This is about making Jesus visible as a church family. By serving one another, by doing life together, and and serving the community together. Because we literally cannot do it without you. And we cannot know Jesus the way He wants us to know Him without you. A friend of mine was recently talking about a conversation he'd had with one of his daughters. And he was talking about her cleaning her room and said, Honey, what if we all approached serving in this house the way way you are with your room? What if no one did anything? You're choosing not to clean your room, so what if we all did that? What if we all as a family chose not to contribute any longer to the life and wellness and blessing and and needs of the family? What would happen? Well, things would fall apart. That's a very similar analogy to what Peter is building for us here. I mentioned that we cannot truly know Jesus without you, And the more life experience I get and the more years God blesses me on this earth, in all of my relationships, the more I'm beginning to appreciate the reality of what Peter's teaching here. For many of you, Christmas is a time that is blessed and it's joyful and it's rich and it's good and it should be all those things. But for a number of you, probably most of you on some level, Christmas is painful because it's a reminder of a loss or something difficult that's happened in your life. This December was the three year anniversary of my sister's death, of her passing. And I was painfully reminded of her absence when we got together as a family to do our family Christmas on, on with my family of origin. And I'll never forget sitting in this circle with my other sister and my parents and my, my sister's boys and husband, and. My oldest sister, her, her son, who is now an orphan, um, a young adult orphan who was here, home for Christmas for the first time in two years, We're all sitting around this circle. And I remember thinking, what's missing here? My sister is what's missing. And it's not like I forgot, but what I was acutely reminded that there is a part of me that she would draw forth the jokes that we had together, the relationship that we just had with one another, the relationship that everyone else in our family had with her. There, there was a, a portion of us that was only known by my sister being a part of our family. And when we lost my sister, there was something that we all lost. And there was a sense of knowing and belonging that we all lost without my sister. We bring forth Jesus from one another in how we interact together and how we do life together. One of the reasons why it's so important we serve together Is because of what you personally will get out of it Scripture here and in many other places explicitly and implicitly teaches That you will only go so far in your intimacy in your knowledge in your understanding in your experience of Jesus if you don't get involved in other people's lives, if you don't serve in some way, shape, or form, if you don't do life in community, you are only going to go so far in your relationship with Jesus. Quite honestly, I have missed you the last couple weeks. I, I love Sundays because I get to be with you because you help me discover Jesus every Sunday in a new way. There, there's something new that I understand or I'm taught or I'm reminded of about Him when we're in corporate worship together. And as wonderful as this medium is and as thankful as I am for this video and to be able to communicate God's Word for you, please do not get used to this. This is not the new normal. This is not what church is really intended to be. This is a wonderful substitute when you can't come to church as a way for us to bring church to you. But there's a reason, Paul says, we are not to give up meeting together and meeting as a community to worship because something happens in corporate worship that cannot happen through a video. It cannot happen through a live stream. As wonderful as those things are, it only happens when we are together worshiping and discovering and experiencing God together. And I so look forward to next Sunday when we're going to be able to be together. But we need to move on here. And as we move on just in this verse, it says, we are a holy priesthood. And there's some dynamics to really understand this and unpack it. Number one, priests were set apart. They were holy. They were set apart, which is what holy means, for a special purpose. And that purpose was to represent the people to God and to represent God to the people. They offered sacrifices and really in the context of what we're talking about here, spiritual sacrifices is really talking about being filled by the Holy Spirit. And this is more than a mystical spiritual experience. This is profoundly practical and powerful. This is talking literally about serving. Spiritual sacrifices are those things in part that we do to serve the Lord and to serve other people. And, and I, I would be remiss to not invite you into deeper community and to invite you into deeper service here at Grace. We would hope that at some point in your journey with this church family, that you were involved in a ministry somehow in the wall, inside the walls of this church, and that you were also involved in a ministry outside the walls of this church. Let me give you some examples. When you come to church next Sunday, in the seatbacks, you will have this card right here. It's our Serving with Grace card. And this is a very practical, easy way for you to get involved in serving here at Grace. There's everything you can imagine as opportunities for you to serve here. It does not matter how you've been gifted, what your passions are. You all have them, and there is a place here for you to serve with us as the church family. So we encourage you to pick this up if you're not involved and engaged in some type of ministry here at Grace, and to get involved. And I promise we will call you, we will follow up, and we will get you engaged. And I will also make this promise to you. We do ministry here as team and in team. So you will be joining a team with all of these ministries. You know, we're not going to take you and put you in a class of 40 kids all by yourself, And you're the only teacher and, you know, we'll talk to you again in five years. We don't do that. We serve in team. We'll give you adequate resources and connection. But this is a wonderful way for you to grow in your relationship with the Lord, is to roll up your sleeves and to serve as a church family. Because that's what we're called to be, is distinctive. And really set apart in some ways from the culture around us. And that brings us to the other dynamic, the other theme that you see not only in chapter one, but in this chapter that we're looking at as well. He constantly, Peter constantly refers to us as aliens, strangers, foreigners. And that really is one of the major themes and one of the second points this morning is we are resident aliens, strangers, and foreigners in this world. And that needs some definition. You ever been a tourist? I love being a tourist. In fact, I'm gonna to get to be a tourist here next month. This last month was my wife, Jamie's, Jamie's and my wife. 25th anniversary. And so to celebrate, for years, we've been planning and saving and preparing to go to Hawaii. And so next month, I'm gonna get on a plane with my wife and I am happily going to go be a tourist for seven days. And it is going to be epic. I cannot wait. But what do tourist do? They don't stay for the long haul, they visit. They come, they visit, they enjoy, they take, they consume, they leave, and don't ever assimilate or become part of the culture around them. They don't stay for the long haul, they don't necessarily contribute, they largely consume, and then they go. It's good to be a tourist, it's fun to be a tourist, but unfortunately We can be a tourist in church, and you can see where this is going. We can come, and we can consume, and we can take in, and we can enjoy, and and that all has its place, and that's all good, but we don't ever contribute, and we don't ever get involved. But this has even deeper implications and a much deeper application with what Peter's talking about here, because this is really not just talking about church, it's talking about the world. When he calls us to be resident aliens and strangers and foreigners in the world, it means we choose to stay for the long haul. It means we engage with our culture. We engage with our neighbors. We engage with our community. It means we look for ways to serve. We look for ways to contribute. But this is where it gets really interesting, is we're resident aliens, resident foreigners, resident strangers, we should live distinctive from those around us. We don't ever fully assimilate. And I'm not saying we should be weird, but to a number of people who don't know Jesus, Christians are weird, and rightfully so, because we don't act like, we don't look like, we don't live like, we don't function like, we don't have the same values like the culture around us. Let me give you some examples. The early Christians were very much considered resident aliens and foreigners. They they lived in the culture, but they weren't fully assimilated in the culture. They lived very distinctively. Let me give you some specifics. We know this from ancient writings, from histories, that the early Christians were considered to be kind of weird. And this is why. They didn't participate in the gladiatorial games. They, they didn't go and... At watch those games for entertainment. They refused any type of bloodthirsty entertainment. They didn't serve in Caesar's military conquests. They didn't serve in the military. They rejected abortion and infanticide. They empowered women in contrast to the culture around them. They believed that sex was for marriage between a husband and wife and a covenant union for life. They opposed same-sex relationships of any kind. They cared radically and generously for the poor. They mixed races and classes in their gathering. It didn't matter your socioeconomic status, your occupational status, your racial or ethnic background. You were a part of their gatherings, which wasn't practiced at all by the culture. And finally, Jesus was the only way for salvation. In a culture that embraced polytheism, of every kind, multiple gods, multiple spiritualities, multiple ways to God, they maintained that the only way to God was through Jesus Christ. What does that sound like to you? Well, that sounds really liberal. No bloodthirsty entertainment, no service in the military, empowering women, caring for the poor. Mixing races and Catholic, classes and ethnicities. That sounds very liberal. But it also sounds very conservative. Rejecting abortion and infanticide, Believing that sex is God's design for marriage between a husband and wife, a man and a woman in a covenant relationship for life. Opposing same-sex relationships. Saying that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Isn't that Interesting that the early Christians would not have fit any of our boxes of today. They were kind of liberal, they were kind of conservative, but they were distinctive. And I think many times the boxes that our culture uses for us fit us better than they should. We are called to follow Jesus. And I'm not making a political statement here, but rather a a spiritual one. We should be kind of tough for people to figure out. On one hand, we stand for those values that God has said are very clear in Scripture. On the other hand, we are radically generous. We, we do look to, to help the poor. We do have a heart for the poor. We do have a heart for all people. You know, We could go down that list I just went down, but sometimes we're just too easy to figure out. And really, if we're living distinctly and the way God calls us to, we're not necessarily going to fit the boxes that our culture has because we're resident aliens. We're here for the long haul, but we choose not to assimilate into the culture around us, but to follow Jesus instead. And finally... We serve because Jesus is our cornerstone. He is the foundation of our lives. And that's what a cornerstone is. It's it's the foundation. And again, why do we serve Jesus? Because He first served us. What is your life like because of Jesus? Because He's in your life. Or another way to think about that is, where would you be without Jesus? Do we remember And recognize and appreciate and realize the gospel that God owing us nothing instead shows us mercy. Instead of giving us what we deserve, the rightful punishment for our selfishness, our self-focusedness, the evil things that we do, the motives, the values, all the things that are contrary to what He wants for us, all the times we have said that we don't believe Him, We disobey Him, we dishonor Him, we turn our backs on Him, we even spit in His face. He forgives that. And not only does He forgive that, but that process of forgiveness is Him dying on a cross, in our place, for our sins, so that we can have life. God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Why do we serve Why do we serve people who don't deserve it? Why do we serve people who are ungrateful? Why do we serve people who are difficult? Why do we serve people who are entitled? And on goes the list. Because weren't you undeserving when Christ served you? Have you ever been entitled in your attitudes towards God? Have you ever been unappreciative in how Jesus has served you? We serve others because Jesus first served us. And that means He's precious to us. In verse 7 it said this, Now to you who believe this stone is precious. Is He? Is Jesus precious to you? Is, is He precious to me? Because if He's precious to us, it means we will do whatever it takes to know Him to follow Him, to trust Him, to obey Him. And crisis oftentimes reveals how precious He truly is to us. Like many of you, I have been filling my time with things, being snowbound here this last week, with things I wouldn't ordinarily get to do. And it's, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. And one of the fun things I have been able to do that I just don't usually have time to do is my wife, Jamie, as many of you know, is a health coach, a wellness coach, and she has these values cards that she uses with her clients. And it enables them to really see what are the, what are the really deeply held values in their, in their lives. And there's like, I don't know, 30, 40 of these cards. There's a ton of them. And you're supposed to narrow it down to your top 10. And it's quite an exercise to do that. But once you have those cards laid out in front of you, it is very revealing with how God has wired you, what your passions are, what, what's important to you, what your priorities are. It's, just, it's, it's really fun to see that laid out and to go, yep, that's me. That's how God wired me. That's my character. That's who I am. Well, for me, some of those top cards were, were these. One was making my life count. It's incredibly important to me that my life makes a difference and that my life counts. It's very important to me to love my family, to have loving relationships in my family. It's really important to me to work hard. That is a really high value to me. I, I am a hard worker. I like to work, and I work hard, and I like to be productive. It's important to me to, to um, not only accomplish, but to um, see something for my efforts, to see results, I guess you could say, but to make sure that those are tangible and real and significant and that they matter. I'm, I'm grateful that God's wired me that way but what if that got challenged what if I woke up tomorrow and for whatever reason I was no longer your pastor and by the way for the record I love being your pastor there's nothing I'd rather do with my life than to do life with you and to shepherd you and invest into you and pray for you and and to do life with you but what if my job went away what then Because just based on some of my character qualities with how I'm wired and how God has designed me, I'd have some real business to do with my heart. Would Jesus still be precious to me? Would I still be willing to trust Him when what felt like my foundation had just crumbled away? I've watched some of you walk this path as your pastor Maybe it hasn't been your job, it's been your health. It's been relationships in your life. It's been financial difficulties. You've lost the approval of important people in your life. I mean, we could go on down the list, could we not? There are those things that will happen in our lives that will test our cornerstone. They will test our foundation. And that's why it's so important That Jesus truly is our cornerstone and our foundation. That we are constantly reorienting, redirecting, realigning our hearts with His. And making sure that He truly is our foundation and, and precious to us. Because He gives us an amazing, amazing promise in this passage. See, I lay a stone in Zion. A chosen and precious cornerstone. And this is talking about Jesus. And the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Any other foundation than Jesus at some point is going to crumble. At some point it's going to let you down. But if you build your life on Jesus, if He truly is your cornerstone, you will never be put to shame. Because He will never fail. That foundation will never crumble. It will never shake. It is rock solid. And therefore we build our lives on our relationship with Him. Why do we serve other people? Because Christ first served us. Church family, we are the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. The church through Jesus Christ working through the church, is the hope of the world. Therefore, we serve the world and we love the world because that's what God calls us, calls us to do. We are not tourists. We are not consumers. We don't act like we're here for a short time. We consume and take as much as we can and then we leave. We invest. We sacrifice. We serve. We love because that's... That's what God has done for us. And when you and I live our lives like that, we will be distinctive. We will stand out from this culture. And people will take notice. And they may not be able to put their finger on what it is that's different about us. But they will be drawn to a community that truly is willing to sacrifice and give and love and serve. In the name of Jesus Christ. And you do that. Church family, I am proud to serve with you and to love other people with you. There are a number of you who do that so well because you recognize and realize how Jesus has served you. But there are some of you who need to repent. You need to turn from being selfish and turn from being self-focused and believe Jesus that the path to joy and the path to fulfillment isn't by just serving yourself, it's by serving, serving others. And I want to leave you with a tangible example of what happens when the church is the church and serves the community in the name of Jesus Christ. This is a story that comes out of Advent Conspiracy and the community Christmas party that we did this last month for East Gresham Elementary. And again, we'll talk more about this in the future, but I am still amazed at the number of resources that you have invested into this. Your time, your relationships, your clothes, your food, your money, all these things blessed a number of families the night of the community Christmas party in December. This is one story that we got back that I want to read to you to end our time here together. My name is, and she states her name here, my little sister attends East Gresham. My younger sister and brother live with my mother, and I live with my wife in Troutdale. They invited me to come with them to your church a couple of weeks ago. My wife and I are generally wary of attending church events due to our sexual orientation and our past traumas in previous religious communities. We were both raised Southern Baptist and moved here from Texas about four years ago. We agreed to come along to support my little sister and my mother, and she had amazing things to say about this event last year. I thought the event was one of the most amazing things I've ever witnessed in my life. My family has always been in poverty since I can remember. We rarely got to take family pictures. I didn't even have a latte until I was in my 20s. And the last thing on our family's agenda was doing anything extra after trying to keep the lights on and food in the fridge. Since obtaining my associate's degree I've been able to secure a decent job and slowly inch my way into middle-class culture Even with this advantage, there come struggles. I recently became ineligible for SNAP benefits and have struggled to pay all the bills and afford groceries. The food box your church provided came just in time, and it was so greatly appreciated. The event your church threw was such an amazing thing for the community. Previously living in the East Gresham area, I know how little the kids that attend my sister's school have access to the fun activities and services that they got to receive at your church. Not once did I feel uncomfortable, looked down on, or pressured to become a member of your church. As someone who works in the social services field, I can tell you, your church is doing things right. As someone who used to be a practicing Christian, I can tell you that you were doing the true and honest work of the Lord as it was intended. And I want to thank you all from the bottom of my heart. That is what happens when a church family rolls up their sleeves and serves one another and serves the community together. And that is the kind of church that I want to be. Serve. Because Jesus served you and loves you. God, thank you for each person who has been watching this video. Work powerfully in their lives. Help them to understand and recognize and appreciate the reality that you have first served them and Lord anyone who's watching this video who isn't sure about this Jesus talk who isn't sure if they really do have him as the cornerstone of their lives I pray for them that they would choose to receive you now by saying Jesus come into my life thank you that you forgive me and thank you that you love me and want to become my cornerstone Lord I pray for each person that you will help them know and love you in a deeper way as you continue to reveal yourself to them. Thank you for this time and your word. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for being our cornerstone. In Jesus' name, in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.